social media consultant from Brooklyn named Sarah Fader texted a friend of hers in Oregon who was coming into town for a visit. And when she didn't immediately hear back from her friend, she had a panic attack. And she later posted on social media what her mindset was. She said, I don't hear from my friend for a day. My thought, they don't want to be my friend anymore. And then she added a description, hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like. She had no idea the commonality she had uncovered with so many people. Soon thousands of people were reposting her uh, message and they were sharing their own thoughts about what anxiety feels like for them. Hannah said, this is what anxiety feels like for me. If I was accidentally weird to you just once, just know that I will be thinking about it every day for the next 50 years. Anybody else feel like that sometimes? Uh, Anne said, here's the anxiety for me. Reading a text a hundred times before I send it and then rereading it a hundred times after I've sent it. And then there's what Chad said. Anxiety for me is dreading when the boss asks to see me and thinking of a half a dozen reasons why I'm about to get fired. And then James says, okay, anxiety. I, am I sweating because I'm having a panic attack or is it just hot in here? And then Shane Dell says, here's anxiety for me. Uh, I used a crockpot liner for the first time today, and now I'm convinced I'm giving my family cancer. <laughs> I love that one. Somebody said uh, anxiety and depression, they're a little bit like radiation. There's always enough in the air, in the background, just not enough to kill you. However, every once in a while, you get a free trip to Chernobyl. So there's that. Sarah, who posted this thought about how she texted her friend and they didn't immediately get back to her, somebody reached out to her because this post went so viral, and in the interview, she said, it's just the life today. You can, Americans can make a pretty strong case that they're the gold medalists in the anxiety Olympics, and if you're living now and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you. I might ask for a show of hands, but I'm just looking at a room of people. I'm just wondering how many of us know what it's like to feel anxiety and worry, and the reason we're going to talk about this today, this series, The Elephant in the Room, it's a heavy topic. I understand that we're going to have some other heavy topics as well. But we're going to talk about, like next week, depression. And if you think that's something that doesn't affect anyone, then I don't know where you've been living. This is, it's a heavy topic, and I hope that if it's something you deal with, you'll come, because as we talk about these things, there's always hope with God involved. But there's a lot of people who feel hopeless. And if there's somebody in your world that you think maybe they need this message, think about who you can invite next weekend. We do have two services so you, next weekend. You'll have two options to get them here, the 9 or the 1030 service. Uh, we'll also be talking about loneliness, a huge factor in American culture as we drift more and more into isolation and away from one another. All the things, and loneliness is kind of that thread that ties anxiety, worry, and depression together as well. And I understand these are heavy topics. But here at Connection, one of our core values is that we're transparent. Now, we don't overshare. There's a right place and time to talk about what's going on in your world, but we do want to honestly and authentically share our struggles with one another and to say, this is my reality. And the other side of it is, we have so much hope that God gives us through Jesus Christ, and we want to talk about what God in your life can do with these things. It doesn't always make it go away, but it sure can bring a sense of hope and peace. And we want to invite God's wisdom into these things that we deal with, whatever it is. If you're talking about it or thinking about it, we should be talking about it. And we want to seek God's wisdom, and we want to ask his involvement in our lives. And, and what we do recognize, too, is anxiety is a big problem that Americans face. And it may be globally, but I know that for sure we do. Now, when we talk about anxiety and worry, we need to maybe make sure that we're talking about the same things here because we will often use anxiety and worry interchangeably as if they're the same thing. 
as if they're synonymous. And they are similar in many ways, but they're not exactly the same thing. A, a counselor would tell you they're not exactly the same. Here's the distinction. Anxiety is an overall umbrella term. It's that fight or flight response that you feel in your body when you're in danger. You know, like you're either ready to protect yourself or you're ready to scram and get out of trouble. And uh, we experience anxiety three places. Obviously, within your body, you like somebody cuts you off and you're about to wreck your car and you feel that surge of adrenaline your stomach tightens up and maybe even feel sweaty a little bit that's that anxiety in your body but we also feel it in our emotions you might feel a sense of dread impending doom danger fear just i got to do something and then you can also experience anxiety in your mind and this is what we do call worry when you're doing all the what ifs you do that at night what if this happens and what if i'm not ready for that and what if this goes and then um, I'm, what are we going to do with that that that's anxiety in your mind that's worry and that's how these relate to one another and we all know what anxiety feels like and uh, at a certain level anxiety is not really a good or a bad thing it's just a thing it's neutral and in fact anxiety has probably kept you alive at some point right the car does cut you off and your fight or flight response kicks in and you're able to do some things that you need to to get out of danger Anxiety at a very low level is what keeps you from being late for the bus. Or maybe you don't feel enough anxiety, and it's your mom's anxiety that makes sure that you don't miss the bus, right? It's the thing. There are some things that legitimately should be worried about. Bills should get paid. Children should be taken care of. You, know, you should go to the doctor and see if that thing is cancer or not. That, so anxiety exists on a spectrum, I guess it's fair to say. And over here you have the, the anxiety and the worry that makes you pay attention to things that you really ought to. Over here, which I'm not really qualified to talk about, would be clinical anxiety, where the levels that you are experiencing literally interfere with your life, and you're not sleeping, and you're not functioning, and you should seek professional help. A lot of us here in America, a lot of us here in this room, we live somewhere in the middle, where it's a part of our lives, and it is interfering, and maybe we should go talk to someone, but maybe we haven't felt like it's got to that point yet. And that's really where I want to talk about this, this level of anxiety that impairs your happiness, it messes with your sleep, it bothers your thoughts. I, maybe for you, it would be helpful right now to just, in the silence of the room, in the quiet of your heart, just say a quick prayer that God would reveal to you where you really are on this spectrum. And maybe things are a little bit worse than you even realize. And maybe today God brought you here because he wants you to start having this conversation. So here's where we know. The levels of anxiety in America have increased steadily over the last 50 years. According to psychologist Robert Leahy in his book, Anxiety Free, the average American child today experiences a level of anxiety that psychiatric patients experienced 50 years ago in the 1950s. Isn't that crazy? Our kids are experiencing this at a level that's unprecedented. The Ameri Anxiety and Depression Association of America points out in any given year, 18% of Americans will suffer from anxiety disorder. That's twice as many as experience depression. And that's, if you want to do the math on that, that's one out of, just take five people, one out of the five are going to experience that this year. If you scale it out to the whole lifetime of everyone, we're talking about 30% of Americans who will experience anxiety disorder at some time in their life. And one out of three of us. This is not just some isolated thing. We're all in this together, I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, even there's people in pop culture who've been honest and transparent about this in ways that are helpful. Like, uh, you've probably heard of Jennifer Lawrence. Some of you know her as Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games. She's been pretty open and honest about her struggles with worry, anxiety, and stress. Uh, there was an interview. She said, in middle school, you've got all these peers judging you. What you're doing is never good enough. You're never wearing the right outfit, saying the, the right thing. 
she says, I want everybody to like me. Who doesn't? And then you grow up and you become famous and it's multiplied by a billion. And then in her worst moments, she said she's just certain that uh, her career will come crashing down. She says, people are going to get sick of me. I'm way too annoying. But if people want to start a backlash against me, Jennifer Lawrence, I'm captain of the team. Believe me, as much as you hate me, I'm 10 steps ahead of you. So if you're one of the very blessed few people in the room who've never experienced anxiety, just listen to what she's saying and see what it is like for the people that are in your life that you care about. Some of you are sitting here and you're going, yeah, like I actually kind of get what she's saying. That's, that's me too. Can you relate to that? And Dr. Leahy, he points out, we live in an age of anxiety. We have become a nation of nervous wrecks. Which then begs the question, if our anxiety is higher now than it has been, what's different? I don't know. Little things like terrorism, mass shootings, uh, the rise of technology. We're connected 24-7 through the internet. Um, we are never really together anymore because we're just becoming increasingly isolated. We've had increasing mobility give us the ability to move away from our extended families, so we are even disassociated in that way. And then we have financial issues and stress, so I really don't understand why we're anxious at all. Do you? There's nothing to worry about at all. Now, I will say, things are worse now, maybe, than they have been in recent memory, but it's not like this is the first time in the world's history that things have been bad. You can go to lots of different epics and eras and times where people go, yeah, well, you just let me tell you a little bit about my life and what it was like for me. And we realize that other people have had to deal with this before, including people in the biblical times. I want, to, uh, want you to know this, and this is just the bottom line. God does not want you to experience unmitigated, unrelenting, unnecessary anxiety, stress, and worry. That is not his desire for your life. That is not why he built those systems into your body and mine. I want you to know this. Things can get better. God does have something better in mind for you. I want you to find in your Bible the book of Philippians. And if you're looking it up in your Bible app, it's going to be towards the bottom of the list of books. It's uh, P.H. Philippians. It has nothing to do with the Philippines. It has to do with a Greek city of called Philippi. So we're going to read out of chapter 4. If you can find that, these will be on the screen as well. I'm going to start in verse 4. Chapter 4 of Philippians. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. And remember, the Lord is coming soon. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then, you can underline this, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right, and pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, keep putting into practice everything that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and you saw me doing. And then, again, you can underline this, the God of peace will be with you. Sounds good to me. Now, I want to tell you, as I'm reading this and I'm I'm describing a way out of anxiety. And you might be listening to that and going, well, that's great. If you know anything about the Bible at all, you might know that the Apostle Paul wrote these words. And you might be thinking, well, that's great for Paul to say that. Like, that was 2,000 years ago. Everything was sweetness, goodness, and light. This is 2019. If he were alive today, he'd say, yeah, be anxious about everything. You guys have good reason. Which then, you kind of have to step back and say, well, what was the world like when Paul wrote? 
This is a letter. Remember, this is obvious, but let's think about this. When you write a letter, there's the context of the people who are reading it, and then there's the context of the person who wrote it. So over here in the church in Philippi that first read this letter, I skipped the part that tells you just a couple of verses before, there was a huge church fight going on, which is one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to begin with. He's writing them like in verse 1 and 2. He's like talking to the two chief fighters in the church. There's two ladies who are strong leaders, and they're going up against each other. And he's like pleading, Yodia, Syntyche, you guys work this out. Ladies, church, help these ladies work it out. That's right before these words. Then you think, well, Paul was writing a letter from somewhere. Why did he write a letter and not just go there and visit? Paul was actually in in the city of Rome, and he wasn't on vacation. He was there under house arrest which doesn't sound like a great thing for a Christian leader, right? But it wasn't his fault. Uh, he was awaiting a, a trial before the Roman Emperor Nero. No stress there at all, right? No stress here in a church that's full of division. And like what Paul is saying is, come on, you guys got to get it together. Our mission of sharing Jesus is too important. And in the midst of all of this, he's able to say, I want you to do this. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Here's what I'm finding here is, This is not medical advice, but this is sound wisdom on how to live a life that's freer of anxiety and worry. Let me just walk you through it. I'm going to give you some things you want to write them down in your worship folder. This, I think, would be helpful to you. It's been helpful to me. I'm going to just start where Paul started, a pathway out of anxiety. When he said in verse 4, you know, always be full of joy in the Lord, and I'll say it again, rejoice. If you want to be less anxious, do what he said, rejoice. Hang on to a joyful attitude. To which, I'll be honest, I'll go ahead and say what you're thinking. It doesn't sound like real helpful advice, right? You ever have those annoying people in your life that come in and you're not feeling good or you're kind of depressed or down about something and they just look at you and say, you just need to smile. And you're like, you just need to shut up. <laughs> and Paul looks at us and goes, you guys are too anxious. You need to rejoice. And I'm like, Paul, you have no idea. This is horrible advice. Or is it? Let me just ask you some questions. Is there a rule that says you can only act how you actually feel in the moment? Is that a rule? I'm not talking to be a fraud. I'm not talking about covering up and just pretending and being inauthentic. But do you actually have to act exactly how you feel all the time? Are you allowed to rejoice when things aren't necessarily wonderful? Are you... uh, is there any advantage, maybe I'd say it this way, to choose to rejoice when things aren't necessarily going well in the moment? Is there anything that might be a good idea to express gratitude about even when things are kind of bad in the moment? Who says that your feelings have to determine how you act? Who says that you know, we, we should be controlled by our feelings or that we should be controlled by our circumstances? Is that a good idea? Is that mature? Let me ask you this. Is it possible that acting a certain way can actually bring about a change in your feelings or maybe even in your circumstances. What if the pathway out of feelings anxiety is to act differently than you feel in that moment? What if there is something powerful about verbalizing joy and delight and thankfulness and gratitude for things that are not exactly what you're feeling right now, but you can look at something else that you're grateful for, that you're happy about, and you can express that? Is that helpful? Don't knock it till you try it. It's exactly what Paul is saying. It doesn't have to be that what you're going through right now determines everything that you think and you feel. There is something powerful about confidently asserting that everything's going to be okay. 
And you can look at things and say, look, I am rightly stressed about some of these things. No dispute there. But can you look beyond it to something else when things are going to be okay? Paul pointed out, like in verse 5, he said, look, if nothing else, Jesus is coming back soon. No matter how bad things are for you right now, if you're a Christian, you know that the trend line goes straight up, right? You do remember that. You may have to zoom out 5, 10 years, 100 years to see something good, but there's something healthy about that. I want you to keep this in mind, that everything does end well, and dwell on that, and let that be the thing that you bring to your mind when things are going bad. That's what he means when he says just to choose to rejoice. I'm going to not deny that things are bad right now, I'm just going to look beyond it to some things that, when a time when I know it will be okay. This is why every week I'm talking to you about how important it is daily to get into your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, I want you to have one. Please get one on that table right there as you walk out of here. Uh, there's no RFID chip or anything. No, there's no buzzer's going to go off. It's yours. <laughs> I want you reading this. There's something powerful about praying. There's something about what you're doing now. To be here together around other Christians, and to sing words that are true, and you may not even feel it, but just to affirm the truth of those things that Jesus really did raise from the dead. And that he's promised me that I will raise from the dead if I trust in him. To believe that God is for me, not against me. That God loves me. That he has a plan and a hope for my future. And that nothing can change that. That's powerful. That's what you look at. And that's what you rejoice about. And so that's rejoicing. And then Paul would tell us, you want to be less anxious, don't forget to pray. That's important too. Because talking to God about what's bothering you is better than talking about it in your own head. Have a better conversation than the one you're having when you're worrying. And what Paul says is don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. It's a much better strategy. Because when you pray, you're talking to someone, capital S, who can actually do something about the things that you're stressed about, the things that you can't control and the things that you can't change. Here at Connection, we just say that prayer at its most simple level is a conversation between you and God about things that you both care about. And if you're thinking about it and you're worried about it and you're stressed about it and you don't want to know what to do about it, you should be talking to God about it. And this should be a part of your daily routine as well. For me, it's just before I wake up, I grab my Bible and I start reading while I'm still in bed, and I pray. And then often through the day, if I'm running or I just have times where I do that, but I think you can find places in your schedule where you can have these times. And certainly, the moment that you catch yourself worrying about something is the time that you should just go ahead and convert that into a prayer and talk to God about it. Because God loves to help us. God loves to get involved in your life. And I have a hunch that God has probably done a lot more for you than you even realize. So why would you not talk to the Father who cares about you? Go back to the very first uh, series we started this uh, year here at Connection, the Believe series. One of the verses that we looked at was Psalm 121, 1 and 2. Some of you memorized that. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Paul says, when you do that, when you lift your eyes to the mountain and you look for help from the Lord, you are inviting supernatural help into your life. And that peace of God that goes beyond anything we can comprehend or understand gets to work in your life, protecting and guarding your heart and your mind. Now, I want you to take a look at this picture and tell me what the silver thing is. This is not a trick question. What is the silver thing? Guardrail. Yes, that is a guardrail, except for in several states where it's not. Here's what's happened. In several states, people have been in traffic accidents, and they've gone through one of those They've sued the state because they went through it, and they said, guardrail implies protection. It didn't guard me. So now, in those states where they lost those court cases, this is not a guardrail. It's a guide rail. 
Because a guide rail doesn't imply protection. It's like, eh, we're going to do the best we can. <laughs> but if you hit it, you're on your own. Here in Missouri, it is a guardrail. We get this one right. God doesn't play those word games. If he says he's going to guard your heart, he's going to guard your heart. So you should be talking to him in prayer. And some of you may be a little bit newbies to prayer. You might be like, I don't know how to do this. I, what do you mean pray? I, do I, I don't even know the words I should use. I don't think you should stress over the words. You should just talk to God like you would talk to anyone else. A very simple prayer. God, just a minute ago, I started worrying about this thing, and now I'm panicking, and my heart won't stop beating so fast, and my stomach's on fire, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, can you help me with this? Can you make my heart slow down? Can you help me figure out a way? Can you just literally protect my heart and my mind? Amen. See? There you go. You're welcome to use that one. You put it in your own words, whatever you need to say. This is the pathway of anxiety. First, you rejoice. And Paul says, yeah, don't forget to talk to God about it. Pray. Well, what do you do then? Well, that's where it comes into verse 8, where he was talking about some things you ought to be thinking about. He says, you, you need to meditate on some good things. You need to hold on to some best thoughts. And he gave us a whole list of things. I would encourage you to just take some time, maybe on your own, and read through that list again. And think of all the things that fall into those categories. Things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. It's a pretty good list. So there's a ranch out in New Mexico that has a, an elk feeder, and they've put up a wildlife camera as well to just capture images of the elk as they come to eat, and they've caught some unusual guests who've invited themselves over to dinner. I think we've got a picture of, yeah. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh invited himself to dinner. What I love about this picture is the elk, and the, they're all just eating, and the bears eating. They're like, it's no big deal, except for the elk on the right. You know that elk is saying, who invited her? What is she doing here? And who thought that she should wear that? It's... You can't always control the thoughts that come into your mind, unbidden. Don't waste a lot of time feeling guilty about thoughts that pop in your mind that are horrible. Who knows how they got there? They invited themselves but you can control how long they stay there. You say, well, how do I do that? Just what Paul said. Okay, if something comes into your head, you counteract it immediately. If it's a lie, you just think about what the truth is. You know, nobody cares about me. Well, wait, except I have a church family that actually cares about me. You know, I'm never going to get this. I've learned other things, and it was hard, but I figured them out. So when these thoughts come into your mind, you do have control of how long they stay there. And you can, because you can only think about one thing at a time. I challenge you to try it. You can hold simultaneous conflicting ideas, but you can only really think about one thing at a time. Why don't you spend the time rethinking about things that are good and noble and right? You redirect and think about something better. I'll just give you a very simple example, but there is a powerful connection between what we think and how we feel. When I'm out running, Sometimes I will run with music or I'll listen to podcasts, but it's also just refreshing just to run with nothing. And um, as I'm going along, sometimes thoughts will come into my head just like they do for you. Maybe I'll remember somebody who cut me off in traffic and they didn't wave, they didn't say sorry. And I'll, as I'm thinking about that, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm replaying what I should have done and it involves hitting their car with my car. It's not good. And in a moment, I will suddenly realize I'm walking. I'm on a run, but I'm walking as I'm thinking about all the negativity, and, I, and then I'm going, I didn't give body, I didn't give you permission to walk, what are you doing? But that negativity will literally slow me down or stop me. And here's what I do, you can laugh at me if you want, but when I'm going up a really steep hill or when I'm just really, 
I say things to myself that are positive, like I'm going like, this is where greatness is made. You know, this is where glory is formed. This, you got this, you know, Rocky. I do. I think, I think about my family and how much I love them and how much they love me. I think about you guys and how awesome it is to serve here. Positive thoughts really do help me run better. You're welcome to use that. You know, I think about things that are good and true. And uh, I don't know, maybe for you, when, uh, laugh at me if you want. Think about chocolate. Think about coffee. Think about puppies and kittens. Just something. Get your mind on something positive and good and true. Think about how much you love your friends and how your friends have been there for you. It really is a good thing to meditate on the goodness of God and the grace that he's shown in your life. And it can transform you, not just your mind. It can transform your body and your soul. And Because here's the thing. A lot of the anxiety that we have, I'm saying this as a non-counselor, but I think we're feeding ourselves way too much negativity. Let me give you an example. Last fall, a research group at Stanford University explored what would happen if somebody disconnected from Facebook. Interesting thing they found, people are willing to give up Facebook for four weeks if you pay them $102, right? So they brought in like 8,000 people. They divided the group in two. One's the control group, just keep looking at Facebook. But this group, they gave them 102 bucks, said give it up for four weeks, we're gonna be watching, so really stay away from it. You're not gonna be surprised at what they found. Four weeks later, the group that gave up Facebook completely showed higher levels of happiness than the control group. They showed higher levels of life satisfaction, less stress. They were more free time. They were just more engaged with life. They were willing to go ahead and continue to not use Facebook. And you didn't have to pay them $102. It's like 88 bucks, and I'll not do Facebook for another month. Here's my question for you. We all already kind of know that. We didn't need a study to tell us what social media does to us. When we see what other people are doing that we're not, we compare our lives to them. We see the negativity that people post and the political posts and the rants. And Why do we willingly subject us, ourselves to that? Nobody's paying you $102 to look at Facebook, are they? Sign me up if, you, <laughs> if they are. What if you looked at the sources of negativity that you're willingly consuming and said, you know what? I need to meditate on things that are good and true and noble and right and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. And this isn't it. I need to maybe separate. Like, I'm not anti-Facebook. I, I have it. I'm sorry if I haven't responded to something you sent me. I'm well, willing to be friends with you. I just, I'm trying to separate myself from it too because I just recognize that it can have a deleterious effect on your life. Which is where I'd really like to leave us. You go back to Paul's words. Back in this section, verse 9, he said, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything that you heard from me and you saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I guess what Paul is just saying here is you need to follow a better example. It's interesting to me that Paul can say, you guys can follow my example. That's a pretty bold statement. You know, just, would, would, you want somebody, would you want somebody to say to you, I don't know, really know what it means to be a Christian. Would you tell them, okay, just see, what, whatever I do, that's what you should be doing. Uh, you know, the way I handle stress, the way I handle my money, and the way I treat my family, is that it? But Paul was confident enough to say that. He would say, look, if you want to get out of anxiety and worry, you need to follow a better example. And I would ask you this, what if Christians just led the way for the rest of our culture in showing the way out of anxiety? What if we were the ones who said, you know, we've just seen what social media does to people. We've seen what this constant connection to our phones, not looking at each other, going through dinner not once, talking to each other has done, and we're going to be the first to unplug. 
We're not anti-technology, but we're kind of seeing that this, we're running this huge experiment on a whole bunch of people, and nobody's ever had this before. We're kind of the ones figuring our way out. Maybe we just go, you know what, let's just kind of find a place for this, and it's got its moment. There was another study. This one was led by Dr. Nancy Cheever at California State University, and she wanted to look at the, the linkage between cell phone usage and anxiety and stress. Here's what they did. They were sneaky. They brought in college students, brought them into a room, hooked them up to all kinds of monitors to test blood pressure, heart rate, sweat level, uh, other things like that. And they told the students, we're testing test anxiety. When you go to take a test in your class, we just want to know what that does to your body. What they were really testing was, how do you respond when we take this away from you? So the, the researchers would come back in the room and tell the students, oh, your cell phone is interfering with our equipment. Can we take it into the next room? So they would. They would take their cell phone to a room where the students could still see it sitting on a table, but they couldn't get to it because they were in a chair strapped to the equipment. Then the researchers knew their phone number, and as soon as the phone was in there, they would start texting it and calling it. The students' heart rates went one person started sweating profusely. Another who couldn't get to their phone but could see it ringing was so bad, they thought they were going to have to call an ambulance for her. This is what our phones do to us. Again, I'm not anti-technology, but I'm just asking, does God have something better in mind for you? You know, I've got a couple of scriptures there that Jesus just says, look, come on, I got a better way for you than worry. Like uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus asked this question. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can it? And he says, if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Jesus, the wisest man who ever lives, just ask us, is this really a good life strategy that you've been employing? I love what he says back here in verse 6. What's the price of five sparrows? What is it, like two copper coins, two pennies, two cents? Yeah, not worth much, but God doesn't forget a single one of them. And then in verse 7, he says, and the, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Think about the intimacy that God has with you, that he knows that about you. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You know, I think today, maybe some of you have been suffering needlessly. Let's just be honest. There is a way out of this. And maybe today is the day for you to get honest with God and somebody else and say, I've been dealing with this long enough. It's time for me to talk to somebody. I want to be really clear. I am talking to you who are living in the middle here. Nothing that I'm saying constitutes medical advice. In fact, if you feel like you're dealing with clinical anxiety, the first thing you ought to be doing is going to your medical doctor. God gave us science and he gave us modern medicine as gifts and we should take full advantage of that. Go to your doctor, find out if there's something going on. Get a referral to a counselor. We have counselors in this church. In fact, after service, we'll have a counselor over here ready to talk and to maybe even help you take the next step. Maybe for you, it's, it's in the middle, but it is really impacting my life, and you need prayer. I would, again, invite you to see us after service and just say, could I pray with you just for a second? Would you just say a prayer for me very quickly? Maybe for you, it's just take that Connect card that's in the chair in front of you, and in the privacy, just as service is over, just scratch something down, fold it up, and leave it on your chair. I promise you, if you write confidential on that or just check the confidential box, it'll just be myself and the elders who'll see that. And we'll pray for you, whatever your thing is. And if you're looking for help and you just want to write that on the Connect card, I'll talk to you about it. Look, we'll talk about anything here at Connection because we care about each other and we're real about what real people face. 
And I want you to know it can be get it better. God does not want you to experience unrelenting anxiety and worry and stress. Will you just right now, as I pray for you, pray for yourself and ask God to show you what you need to do with this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you love us and care for us and that it is going to be okay. And I thank you that there's just this hope that goes beyond anything that that someday, Jesus, you are coming back. It might be today, who knows when it will be, but that you're gonna fix everything that's wrong with the world and you're gonna fix everything that's wrong with us. And even if we've passed away, that that hope still continues, it does, doesn't go away. Help us to be brave enough to take that next step that we need to today. Help this to be a day where things truly do pivot and change for so many people. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.